0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Lord, that when we come in here with our feelings all over the place, we don't even feel you. It doesn't change who you are. Thank you that when when our wills run far from you, we don't want to be near you or even associate with you, yet it doesn't even change who you are. You're You're God alone. King of all kings. Lord of all lords. Great majestic God. We change so often, Lord, and you don't change at all. We praise you for that today, God. I thank you, Lord, that in your unchangingness, you pursue us and you chase us and you reveal yourself to us and you draw us nearer to you. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that as we open up your word, that you, in your mercy, would open our eyes to see you clearly, that you'd open up your, our hearts to understand your mission uh, clearly. And, and God, I pray that you'd move us to be men and women who don't just know about you, don't just know about your mission, but men and women who love you and who are on your mission for uh, your namesake here in this earth. God, I pray you'd take this scripture, which is so compelling and so powerful. Would you apply it not just to our heads today, God, but to our hearts. And when we leave here today, God, singing greater praises for your name and with a greater resolve to live out our lives for your glory. We love you, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 9 this morning, starting at verse 32. Acts 9, verses 32 to 43. For a long time, I quoted a phrase that was attributed to Saint Francis of Assisi that went like this preach the gospel at all times and if necessary use words. I'll quote that over and over until one day I realize that that's such a bad quote. Especially if you've been reading through Acts, you realize that you need words to preach the gospel, right? And Romans 10 says, how are people ever going to hear if you don't tell them? And so I used to quote that, and I came to realized that's a bad quote, and so I stopped quoting that. But as I studied this passage, I realized that actually it's not a bad quote in the sense that the idea behind it is fantastic. You know what the idea behind that quote is? At all times, we are supposed to be living our lives as a reflection of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of believers and so far in Acts, we've seen that we are called to go and take the gospel. We're called to, to go and preach the gospel. over It's like, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit came and they preached the gospel. Acts 1-8 is, be my witnesses, be my witnesses. And Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth, and I'll give you power. And, and so we've, learning that that's such a vital part of our faith, and yet that quote brings out the other part of our faith that I don't want us to miss as we think about being on mission for Jesus. And actually, the Bible doesn't want us to miss as we think about being on mission for Jesus. It's not just about preaching the Word, it's also about living the Word and being Jesus' hands and His feet here on earth. Amen? it's a good balancing act that we have to struggle with in our lives, With so many believers and so many churches kind of fall on, that we're pendulum swingers, right? We fall on one end of the spectrum, and like some believers, some, believer, some churches are like, we're just going to preach the gospel, we don't care about meeting people's physical needs, we're just going to preach the gospel. And other people are like, we just want to meet their physical needs, and we're just going to love the people, we don't care about preaching, preaching the word, we just want to reach out and love in Jesus' name. And yet, we look at scriptures, and they, they both go hand in hand as believers. This is, they, they, this is our calling in life, and we see that in the life of Peter, as we read uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. The most powerful lives God uses are are those who engage in show and tell in the world. So the narrative of the text goes back to Peter. We've been studying Saul, and, and all of a sudden it's like, Peter again, and so like, what's going on? Is Luke kind of scattergores? Is he like one of these guys that's like, Saul, Peter, Saul, Peter? Actually, he's not. He's a very calculated man. He's, he was a doctor. He was very thoughtful in his process. What he's doing here in all these shifts from one, one guy to another, he's really trying to show us that These might be two different men coming from different backgrounds, but they are both on the same team fighting for the same goal, and their lives are actually intertwined. They're actually on different paths, but both aiming for Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to miss this. They're not two different guys doing two different things. They're on the same path for Jesus Christ. So our our text comes back to Peter here. And look what Peter does. I'm just going to do a little bit of a different sermon today. I'm going to read the text, I'm going to explain it, and I'm going to bring five points out of it that are going to apply to our lives of what it is to get in on Jesus' mission. And so usually we work through it like verse by verse by verse. I'm not doing that, and I think you'll understand why, but just bear with me. I'm just that out at the beginning, because some of you guys are like, I don't know what he's doing. This is what I'm doing. I'm reading it, I'm explaining it. I'm going to pull out five points that we can learn from from Peter's life. Starting at verse 32 now. As Peter went here and there among them, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a, na- a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Get this. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Isn't that a miracle? It's awesome. Now, there is in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. So this is all going on. There's a, another scene over on the other side of a Little White Ways Away. In Joppa, a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Verse 40, but Peter put them all aside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said this, Tabitha, arise. You're like, what? And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, this is a, a passage of scripture that's, that's pretty phenomenal. Every, everything's in the Bible for a reason, you know, right? And so there's nothing here that's not by chance. There's nothing in here that we, we can't learn from. There's nothing in here that doesn't apply to today. And, and so let me just explain what's happening here. I read it for you, and you get the general idea, but, but Peter's on a preaching tour. So remember, like, all the disciples were in Jerusalem, and they were all hanging out there. They're going to stay here and minister here. Well, Peter's like this caged lion. Remember, he's a type A guy, and he had this... he. He was there when Jesus said to them, Hey, you're going to give you power to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So he's like, Hey guys, what about this ends of the earth thing? Like, if you're going to stay here, like hang out and that's fine, but I'm out of here. And he's like, he's like on mission. And so he's out going to preach, determined to get the mission out, not going to keep the gospel pinned back. But as he's going, notice this, as he's going, he's not just going one single, not going single focus to just be a preacher. Look what happens. As he's going with a mission on focus, he sees this guy who's laying over on a mat to the side who's been bedridden for eight years. So it's a guy who, who remember in Acts 4, we talked about this, this, this miracle of healing this lame man at the temple, and he was lame his whole life. So he from birth, this guy wasn't lame his whole life. He he maybe fell off a horse or fell off a building project or got a disease. We don't know, but there's this guy laying there for, for eight years. So as Peter walks by, and he, he was filled with compassion to be like, man, like who's going to minister to this guy? Probably an unsaved guy. It says he was going to, he he came down also to the saints who lived in lit light. So he was probably, he was with the saints. He was probably a guy who wasn't even a Christian. And he stops. It's important. He stops. And most, most of us probably walk by people like this. Just cruise on by. We got our stuff to do. We got a message to preach and we keep on going. He stops and simply says to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Imagine this guy sitting there, he's like, What? What? He's like, He said, Stand up and make your bed. And they're saying in the old old days when they said make your bed, it was like a mat, and he's like, Fold it up and take it home. Like, You're done with this thing now. This thing hasn't been moved in eight years. Like, like, show us what the ground underneath it looks like. And this guy jumps up, like, instantaneously and totally. He is like, healed. And everybody around is like, what is is going on? And they turn to Jesus Christ. Miracle that God does through the life of one willing to be used of God, wherever God calls in, however God wants to use his life. It's awesome. God still does these things today, I believe. He still works miracles today. Next case. Dorcas. Tabitha or Dorcas which means gazelle, metaphor for beloved. She's this wonderful Christian woman full of good works and charity. She spent all of her days, you know what she did? She was a little, was a little Christian woman in the church who, who crocheted things for the poor, and she looked after the, the orphans. She was, you, you, every church has one of those, right? Except for ours, but every church has one of those. You could be that person if you want. And so she's known as this charitable giving person. One day she gets sick and she passes away. And the church is devastated. Beloved, our beloved Tabitha, our beloved Dorcas. If you're, if you're looking for a Bible name for your daughter, guys, just, that might not be the best one, Dorcas. Just throw it out there. But she was a wonderful soul. And she dies and they're devastated. And so they wash her ceremonially. That's what they did in the day. And, and that, was, that was normal. But they placed her in the upper room. That wasn't quite normal. Was maybe because they thought she was like, Someone that they wanted to honor a little bit more. Maybe they thought something significant was going to happen. We're not sure why, but they put her in the upper room. They sent two guys to go and find Peter. Remember Peter? He's like, he's a, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm on, a, I'm an itinerant preacher on mission to find the next podium. And they go to find him. It's like a whole day's journey. And they find him. And he's not so busy that he's like, two bad guys, like she's dead. I'm busy doing other things. He actually takes a day's journey, goes to her. They're all crying, wearing the stuff that she'd given them, holding it. And, and he, he, takes them all out of the room, he kneels down, he prays, and then he looks at her and he says, Tabitha, arise, and lo and behold, she does. And everyone's like, come on, if you were there, what would you be like? Wow. This word, you have to understand this, this word that he uses in both instances, rise up, rise up, it's the same word that the New Testament uses for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is more of a resuscitation in in Tabitha because we know she's going to die. She's eventually going to die one day. But, but, But all these miracles, all they're doing is pointing to the fullness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter's life focused on preaching the gospel is also to reflect the gospel of what it means to live a resurrected life in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one who gives us fullness of life. And so, when Peter presented her alive uh, through her life, through her life, others became aware of the fact that man Jesus truly is the life through this man standing up and through this benevolent act of healing this man. Others realized that man there is one power to give life, and that is Jesus Christ. There's one power to heal the lame; that is Jesus Christ. What an amazing God, don't you think? I, I love these stories. They inspire me to have faith, and they inspire me that we still serve the same God today. That was the same God in the New Testament, the same God knows that we still serve the same God today. And I know some of you even come here today, and you're, you're waiting for a miracle in your life. You're like, does God still do miracles? I just want to assure you this. God still does miracles in people's lives today. And God still can do the impossible in your life today, whatever that is. But we're not going there with today's sermon. I preached that a few months ago with Acts chapter 4. But this also shows us, This also the passage also shows us this, that, that God will do extraordinary things through a life that is totally committed to being on mission for Jesus and actually caring about people. Not just the message of the cross, but the people of the message that the cross is there for. So I just want to pull out for you five principles from Peter's life today that we can learn from if we are also truly going to be on mission for Jesus Christ. We've gotten the preaching part. We've gotten the preaching part in all of Acts. Every second sermon, it seems that they preached, they told, they shared, they explained. And so we get that, we get that, but don't miss this part. Don't miss this part. Part of being on mission for Jesus Christ, getting it on Jesus' mission also includes this. It's having a heart for people. Getting it on Jesus' mission is this, is I have a big heart for people. I have a big heart for people. You see this in Peter's life. You see this in Jesus' ministry. Peter had a big heart for people. People were his priority. You can write that down right underneath it. People were his priority. Think of this. Think of this. Peter was this famous itinerant preacher. He, he, was, he was going to be the one to be at the front, to, to, to be the one articulating all the, that God had done and all that God is. And yet, in the midst of, of his big important task, guess what? He still had time for people. You see it in the text? When it, when it says here that, that Peter went from here and there, that, 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 he was on his itinerant call. But Peter wasn't one of these guys like we go and listen to in some stadiums today. We think of itinerant preacher as the guy from the big church who gets in an airplane and he he flies to the airport and the entourage picks him up at the airport, they put him in the car or the limo, they drive him to the stadium or or the big church, and then he gets gets out of the big church, he delivers his message, and right after the message the the bodyguards come and they surround him and they take him to the back room and then he gets back in the car, then he goes to the airport, he has contact with people. Peter's not that type of itinerant preacher. Peter is the guy that's like, like, I want to preach, but man, I want to have life on life. Uh, My my heart is is for the message because my heart is for people. Peter had a heart for people. I think as I read this, Peter just lived a practical gospel message. We want to preach the gospel. We also want to live a practical gospel message. If we're going to be a church that's truly, truly, truly influential in our community, it, it also has to be about living a practical gospel message and having a heart for people. Let me tell you this as I study this, as I study even through acts. We can love theology. We can enjoy studying the Word of God and engaging in theological sparring sessions, but get this, the Christian life was never meant to be lived in the library or just listening to sermons. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in the library or just listening to sermons. Here's what the study of the Word of God. Here's what a proper understanding of theology, a the proper understanding of the cross ought to lead us to it ought to lead us to a greater love of people. John 15, 12. Jesus says this to us. This is my commandment. That you know scriptures. Uh-uh. That you're a good preacher. Uh-uh. This is my commandment. That you love one another. You get it? As I have loved you. This is my commandment. Simple. And he's not saying that, like, come on, guys, muster up love, like get it going. Like, how come you're not loving? You know what he's saying? He's like, if you've truly seen the cross, if you truly seen my love for you, then then within you and my Holy Spirit is gonna spur up love, not just for me, but for other people. And the commandment isn't like kind of muster up, it's like go and exercise it, go and spread it, go and share it. I want to tell you this, brothers and sisters. Loving and walking in Jesus isn't just preaching. Here's what it is. It's loving other people. It's impossible to love Jesus and not love and have time for those around us. That's what Peter's teaching us here. It doesn't come out in the text, but as I study this, I'm like, Peter has a heart of Compassion. Peter's a heart of compassion. I, I see Peter as a, as a guy, this is the second point here, I have a big heart for people, people are my priority, compassion is in my heart. So Peter's a guy that, again, he's driven, he's type A, he's got his to-do list, he's got his focus, he's like, I want to get to this synagogue, and this temple, and this thing, and, and where the crowds are, and yet as he's going, guess what? His, his heart of compassion is tugging at him as he sees this man lying, like, how can I just walk by this guy? Can't. He's a whole day away from Joppa, and he's got his, all right, 9 o'clock, you're having breakfast, 10 o'clock, you're preaching here, 11 o'clock, I don't know if it was that way, but I'm sure there's some sort of agenda. These two guys show up at his door, and like, hey, this, this one of our beloved little ladies in our church passed away, can you, can you come? I gotta be honest, I'd be like, well, she dead. I'll pray for you, but like I'm, but not Peter. Peter's like, what? Well, how can I minister to you? I, a day's journey, so a day there, some time there, a day. I could take three days out of my schedule to, like, see the heart of compassion that isn't maybe said in the text, but can you feel it in the text? So it's going to be a different kind of sermon, right? But can you, can you, can you feel it in the text? I, I, as I read that, I, I felt that in the text just even trying to understand Peter's thought process and Peter's heart. Here, here's, what I, here's what I've gotten from my heart and for your heart. Just to stop and do some application right now in this text. Do we really have a heart for people? Do you really have a heart for people around you who are hurting and maybe not dead but dying and lonely and hungry? Like, Do you really have a heart for these people? Or are you so busy with your, your religious agenda, your thing that you got to do that you're, you're missing out on the whole heart of ministry, which is people. Jesus lived this. Peter lived this. But we ought to live this. Let me tell you this that, that God's people are in the people business. Every one of God's people are in the people business. Doesn't matter what your day job is. You could be making the paper. You could be pushing the paper. You could be the garbage man collecting the paper. But whatever you do, whatever you do, your ultimate job under Jesus' authority and under Jesus' calling is people, it's the people around you. He's giving you a job at the uh, the desk. He's giving you a job at the plant. He's giving you a job at the, at the car dealership. Why? So that you can be around people to care for people. Even our church. We're, you have to understand this. We're not just about putting on services and running programs. As some think we are. What are we in? We're in the people business. We care about people. We love people. I've been amazed at how many people in the last three, six months have said to me, like, I find out that, I can't believe you've been going through that. Why didn't you call Why didn't you text me? Well, you're so busy, pastor. Really? You thought I was too busy for people? Isn't that some kind of weird pastor too busy for people? I want you to know that as as pastors, as elders, as your staff, as as your small group, like we're here we're here for you. We're in the people business, and you ought to be in the same mindset that there's nothing more important in my day than stopping to minister to people around us. This is what we. This is what it means to be on Jesus' mission. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sure. I have a sermon to prepare, and I have. Prayer to do. We learn that in Acts 6, right? you got to prepare your sermon. you got to pray. We can't, we can't be doing a five-minute prep for a sermon. That's not going to help you at all. But at the same time, it's the people thing. I know you've got your jobs to do you've got your kids to look after, but at the same time, at the same time, people must be a priority. People must be big in your heart. I've talked to so many believers who have this weird take on what it means to love. Oh, yeah, 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 Pastor, I know we got to love each other, we got to love each other, but I just don't like people. You ever heard someone say that? Then you've missed Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I love, I love people and, and I want to be a part of people, so I just don't have time. Then you're not on Jesus' mission. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I have so much to care about my own life, my own family, and I, the people. Like, that's just like, whoa, well, it's going to put me over the top. Then you've missed the whole heart of mission. You've missed the whole heart of what Jesus embodied here on earth. Being on Jesus' mission means we have a heart for people. Peter exemplified this. If you don't have this heart for people, I I suggest you start praying for this heart for people because Jesus has this heart and he promises to give us this heart because this is what he calls us to do. Start praying for a heart for people. It's what defines Jesus and what's what he wants to define our lives and our church and our mission. We can't miss the people in the mission of Jesus Christ. That's point number one. Again, sort of abstract I'm going to pull another point out here. Uh, Right here, point number two is this. I always aim to serve in his name. I always aim to serve in his name. If I'm going to get in on Jesus' mission, I always aim to serve in his name. Uh, I love how Peter, when he raised Aeneas, one of the first words out of his mouth after he says the guy's name, Jesus Christ heals you. Aeneas. Jesus Christ heals you. It wasn't like, hey, I want to help you. It wasn't like I got something for you. It wasn't like, hey, if you listen closely to my words, I'm going to do something pretty cool right now. You know what he says is that like, Jesus Christ heals you. Here's what Peter's life was determined, was de- defined by as he lived on mission for Jesus. He was determined to not miss opportunities to point people to Jesus and minister in the power of only one name, Jesus' name. He was determined to not miss the, out on saying the real reason for the hope and the strength by which anything happens, Jesus Christ. Again, I want to encourage you with this as we read this. uh, It struck me with this. No ministry is real ministry unless done in the name of Jesus Christ. see so many people today doing ministry. And they're running around trying to do all these nice things for people. And and, and, you know the last person they want to talk about as they're doing ministry? Jesus Christ. Ministry is not ministry without the name Jesus Christ. And if you even in your own personal lives are out trying to do all these nice things for people and, and be nice to your neighbors and, and, and serve at the food bank and whatever else you're trying to do, but you're missing out the name of Jesus Christ, all you're doing is good deeds. You're not really doing ministry. Ministry is done in the name of Jesus Christ, and only when it's done in the name of Jesus Christ will there be fruitfulness, ministry done in any other name, even if it's for your own name. Some of us get into that side of things, Right? kind of for God, but I really like the accolades of people, and I like the pats on the back, and well, it's for Jesus, but keep bringing me the, the keep tell me how good I am. But if it's done in it any other name, you know what it is? It's futile. Only ministry done in the name of Jesus is fruitful. Why is that? Here's three reasons why that is. Here's three reasons why we have to, as we're on Jesus' mission, simply desire and thrive to do everything in Jesus' name. Everything we do is done in Jesus' name. How often do we speak the name Jesus? As often as we can. Why? Because he holds all authority. Can you imagine if Peter said, Hey, stand up in the name of Peter. You know what would have happened? He'd been trying to lug this guy <laughs> We can't do anything in Jesus' name without Jesus' name. We we can't tell anyone to do anything in our name. Jesus is the one that commands the spiritual world and the physical world in the name of Jesus. Here's what happens: demons flee, and the earth stands still. Everyone and everything is under the control of Jesus. Everything has to be done in Jesus' name. He holds all authority. He also holds all power. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great and might. Jeremiah 10, 6. The only power in the universe capable of accomplishing Jesus' task is the name of Jesus. Number three is this. He deserves all glory. None of us, no matter how good or awesome we think we are, deserve any credit for anything on earth, only Jesus. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the provider. He's the healer. He's the giver of every gift. So our number one goal in ministry is to simply—we we don't just reach out and care for people for the sake of caring for people. We do it in the name of Jesus, so that people will know Jesus Christ. When people ask us for an answer for why we do things, what's our answer supposed to be? Not I had a few extra—because I had five extra minutes today because I thought I were doing a good deed today. You know what's supposed to always be? Because of Jesus Christ. You're such a good person. Thanks for doing all these things. It's actually should be like, no, I'm not a good person at all. It's Jesus Christ who has saved me and then put his righteousness in me which makes me somewhat good. Oh, but you're so talented. Actually, it's not because I'm talented. It's because Jesus Christ gave me the, these abilities to honor him. Let me th- think about this for a minute. Like, how often do you do things for God but not in the name of Jesus Christ? Because we're too shy. To mention his name, or because we aren't thinking of him in the way we ought to. Ministry is only ministry if it's done in the name of Jesus Christ. Any good thing we do ought to be, attached to that ought to be the name Jesus. So, here's a gift for you, but it's really not from me. It's everything comes from God. It's not my check. It's a gift from God. It's, it's, it's in Jesus' name. Actually, that prayer I prayed for you, it really wasn't about me being awesome and giving you a big prayers. It was about the Holy Spirit empowering me to pray the right prayer for you. So give credit to Jesus in Jesus' name. The deep insight I gave you the other day when you were down, it wasn't because I'm awesome. Please stop poking me on the back and pat me on the back. It's actually because of Jesus Christ in me was, was, was doing this work. So give him the credit for this. I'm not talking about doing this in a... In a superficial, humble way. We all, we all know the vernacular, right? We can all be like, oh, well, no, don't give credit to me. It's really inside. We're like, yeah, keep bringing it on, bring it on, bring it on, you know? It's truly in our hearts. we like, it's in Jesus' name. Everything's for Jesus Christ. Our heart is to truly make Jesus glorious. If we can get in on Jesus' mission, I always aim to serve in his name. Here's number three from these two stories. Here's number three. I know I can't do it without prayer. I know I can't do it without prayer. Here's... Five ways that you can really get in on Jesus' mission. Ask Him for a heart for people. Aim to serve in His name. And know you can't do it without prayer. We don't really see it in the story of Aeneas. Peter just comes up to him and says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise up and make your bed. But I wonder if that's just a summary statement of what happened. And really there's a little conversation that went on. And Peter knelt down and talked to the man. And he actually said, you know what, like, I'm just going to, can I pray? I'm just going to spend a minute praying for you before he even healed that man. Because look what happens, look what happens in Dorcas's life or in Tabitha's life. When Peter got there, he arrived in verse 39 and they took him to the upper room and all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing him tunics and other garments that Nor- Dorcas made Mabel, she was with them. So these are the people that she'd ministered to that were so sad that she was gone. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and... Don't miss that word. It's so easy to miss in here, right? But Peter put them all outside and why did he put them outside? We're not sure why he put them outside. Maybe because they were making too much noise. They were crying. Maybe because he didn't want the glory. He didn't want people to like attribute anything to Peter. Maybe it's just because he was following Jesus' example. Remember when Jairus' daughter, he healed Jairus' daughter. He kind of sent everyone out outside the room, but he sent them all out and he bowed on his face and he prayed. got humbly before the Lord with a mindset of there's nothing I can do that's going to make any eternal difference apart from seek the face of God. I don't know if he was yelling, I don't know if he was whispering, I don't know if it was an anxious prayer, I don't know if it was a stress prayer, I don't know, but, but I do know this, that it's clear, it's clear that he had a posture of his heart that's like this, oh God, it's now or never, like if you don't do this, there's no point in me being here. God, what do you want me to do in this moment? I don't know what to do. Do I go and minister to them? Do I sit here and... Regardless, the power for ministry that Peter exemplified came through... One avenue of prayer. This is so crucial in our lives to be on mission with Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. This is so crucial in our lives. The key to all fruitful ministry is prayer. If Peter didn't pray there, I'm pretty sure that nothing would have happened. The key to all fruitful ministry is prayer. It's not just in raising the dead. I'm sure if you're like, I'm sure if you're in a, Room with someone who is dead, you'd probably pray too, but but that's not the point. The point is that all fruitful ministry is birthed from a posture of prayer. Even the little things we attempt to do for God are gonna be meaningless and fruitless without prayer. John 15:5, it's a life verse that I've had since college, and I've shared this with you before. John 15:5. And let me quote it for you: it's like I am the vine, you are the branches remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. nothing. If we're going to be on a mission for Jesus Christ, we have to get that verse and realize that verse and grasp that verse and get on our knees and say, God, I got nothing. You have everything. Give me a little bit of what you got, please, to accomplish something through ministry. I think we understand this up here, but I wonder, I wonder how many of us, I wonder how many of us are serving the world with all of our heart, and we're going hard after Jesus, and we're trying to make a difference, and, and we're, we're serving here, we're serving there, we're running around the world, and we're getting so frustrated and so discouraged because nothing seems to be happening, and I can't figure out why, I'm doing all I got, I'm, I'm ministering to everybody I know, and I can't figure it out, but nothing's happening, I think I'm going to, why is that? I think one key element's always missing. Prayer. Tell me how to be fruitful. I'm trying, trying, trying. You know, how to be fruitful as you get on your face and you say, God, what do you want me to do in this circumstance? Show me, empower me, use me, and I will get up off my feet and I will say whatever you want me to say and I'll do whatever you want me to do. But even the little menial tasks, the little menial conversations, if you're not praying with those conversations, there probably is not going to be spiritual fruit to those conversations. If you want to meet a need and you're not praying about the conversation you're going to have with the person to meet the need, you're going to you're going to feed a belly for a day, but not a soul for a lifetime. I decided today's today day. I'm going to go and share Christ with, or I'm going to minister to the person in the hospital, and, and I'm going to go and make a difference. And it happens we run into those things and not pray? And we can't figure out why there's, well, uh, everyone else is seeing fruit. How come I'm not? Personally, we do that in church. We do that. I wonder how many of you here serving today in our church came today, busting through the doors to serve harvest kids. Welcome, worship, set up. Never really having a heart prepared by God for the service of God to accomplish spiritual things today. James five tells us that Elijah was a guy just like us, and yet when he prayed, guess what happened? it rained God told him to pray it wouldn't rain and he did and then God told him when to pray it would rain and, it, and, 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 and he prayed and it rained Peter, prayer made the dead come alive and I ask myself I ask you to ask yourself today what rain needs to happen in your life what is dead in you that needs to come alive through prayer what is God wanting you to accomplish that can only happen through prayer oh how we need prayer don't we need prayer I can say it every, every, every day, every week of my life. I have to remind myself over and over oh, how I need prayer. If I don't pray, I'm just being honest with you, nothing's going to happen from this sermon if I don't pray. Well, I can study. I can prepare. Nothing's going to happen. All my conversations this week aren't going to... I'm going to have a lot of conversations next week, next month. And I'm going to get so frustrated and get so discouraged and say, well, nothing's happening, Lord. It, it all starts with the posture of prayer. We've got to, in our serving of the Lord, get out of this I've got this mentality and get into this you're all I've got mentality, God. We've got to get out of this I've got this mentality and get into this you're all I've got mentality, God. And we do when we do that, he can do incredibly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Ephesians 3:20 says The only way Jesus mission is accomplished in your life and in our church is if we pray. So let's start praying. Prayer meeting as you saw announced, let's all be there. Prayer meeting. Number four is this I'm willing to step out in faith. Here's number four, here's what we accomplish Jesus' mission. Here's, here's what it is to get in on Jesus' mission. I'm willing to step out in faith. Again, we don't see this anywhere in the text. But it's one of those texts that's just a little bit odd to preach. And so I'm just all week looking at this and trying to understand Peter, understand his mind, understand his heart. And, and here's what I see as I read this text about, about Peter. He's a man of bold faith, don't you think? Like he was willing to put himself in an awkward place by faith in the God who is calling him. Like can you imagine? Can you imagine like walking walking by a guy who's lame and how long have you been here? Eight years. Can you imagine the faith that would take someone to say, Okay, I'm gonna pray for you, and they will get up and walk? I c I can't imagine. Can you, can you imagine the faith it would take to be in a room with a casket? With a corpse and to fall on your knees and pray and then say, okay, Tabitha, rise. Like, I've been in many of those scenarios. I've never thought that once. Ever. Peter was clearly a man who was walking by faith and not by sight. Peter was a man who was clearly walking by faith and not by sight as 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us. And especially true when it comes to serving the Lord on mission. If we're going to actually serve the Lord in a healthy way, in a fruitful way on mission, we're going to have to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. The bottom line is this. We can't play it safe and still see God move. There's no such thing in the Bible as in playing it safe and seeing God move, it's, to use a baseball analogy. You can't keep your foot on first and steal second and get thrown out every time. You got to inch out a little bit and risk a little bit for the Lord if you're really going to see God move in your life and through your life. It's it's a Peter analogy from from the, from when he was on the on the waters a few a few books before in the Gospels where remember he stepped out of the boat and he put it on the line. And once he stepped out of the boat, then he walked on water. But until he stood out of the boat, nothing was going to step out of the boat. Nothing was going to happen. I think Peter learned from that step-out-of-the-boat experience. Remember what happened to that, that, that whole thing? Eyes on Jesus, took his eyes off, sunk, remember? But I think he learned from that that he never stopped stepping out of the boat in his life when it came to serving Jesus Christ. I think it was a daily, I'm going to step out of the boat again, I'm going to step out of the boat again. All right, Lord, you tell me to, tell this man to stand up. I'm just going to step out and keep my eyes on you. Okay, Lord, you say you're, you want me to... to, to Tell this woman to rise up. Like, I'm going to I, I step out Comfort zone? want to be faithful and obedient to God's call? And to truly have faith that God is who he says he is, and God is as big as he says he is, and God can do absolutely anything? You know what limits us so much in our personal ministry, the ministry of our church? We walk by sight and not by faith. I'm guilty. We walk by sight and not by faith. To truly get in on Jesus' mission for your life and for our church, and we have to learn how to do, walk by faith and not by sight. And once again, come to this place where we believe that Jesus can still do all the things of the Old and New Testament today in our lives in our church. Matthew 19, 26, with man this is impossible, with God all things are possible. Jesus said this, talking salvation of the rich man, but he's also saying he's referring to all things. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said to his disciples after they couldn't cast out a demon from a boy, you couldn't do this. Why? Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And he's not saying that we've got to muster up faith so we can manipulate God in that pastor's life. I have faith. I can tell God whatever I want. He's going to do it. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that we can now walk into hospitals and tell people at random that they should be healed. That's not what it's saying. It's saying if you listen to God and follow God and if you step out in faith as God leads you, you just have a little teeny little little bit of faith. Guess what? God can use that for great things. God can use that for great things. Brothers and sisters, I think on Jesus' mission, we need to get back to having faith like Peter. Because God uses a small amount of faith to accomplish great things. I'm not saying we run out of here and try and raise lame people and heal the dead. I think God could still do that today. I think he still does do that in certain scenarios. But I'm just talking about having faith for even the, the things we want to see God do. What's the greatest miracle of all? It's not even raising a dead corpse. It's it's raising a dead soul. What's the greatest miracle of faith? It's not even giving a a person feet. It's giving people a person spiritual feet that they can walk with Jesus. It's believing that God still today wants to do deep things in our lives for His glory. If it's to heal somebody, awesome. If it's not to heal somebody but to reveal His glory through the pain, that's awesome too. This isn't a, this isn't a template for that. Every time you do this, this is going to happen. This is, this is a more of a call and inspiration to like, God, I want to have faith again to believe that you still do the the, the miracles in people's lives. I still want you to do a deep work in my life and those around me. I still want to see you heal marriages, God. I believe you can do that. I still want you to save that lost brother or sister that I've written off a long time ago. But I want to once again believe that you can still do that, God. I still want to believe that you can, you can help any person in any situation. You can help them know Jesus and thrive in you. That's what it means to be on Jesus' mission. Let me ask you this. Are you serving the Lord in faith? Are you playing it safe? Maybe God's asking you to do a step of faith that you're just not willing to take right now. And you've been having someone on your heart. You want to minister to a need. You want to step out. And and you're just like, but I'm not going to do it. Nothing's going to happen. I can't do it. God is calling us to step out of the boat on mission for him and have faith again in him that he wants to use your life and work in your life and and. Do deep things in other people's lives for his glory. As we study this, I see this. Prayer and faith are the oars that get the ministry boat moving. Prayer and faith are the oars that get the ministry boat moving. It's not a nice little formula, but it's the reality of the atmosphere that God chooses to work in. I want to clarify, does it always happen this way? I think I said, does it always happen this way? It doesn't. Every believer is not raised from the dead. Every, every believer doesn't get healed. But it doesn't negate the fact that we want to minister for Jesus with a faith in a big God that he can do whatever he wants to do to accomplish his purposes. Bottom line is this. No faith, you're going to see nothing of God in your life. We have no faith as a church. We see nothing of God moving in our church. If we have much faith, we're going to see a lot of God in our church. You're going to see a lot of God in your life according to his will. God can do the impossible. Why? So he can bring himself glory. Here's number five. Last point. Number five, quickly. Being on mission for Jesus means this. I just want people to turn to Jesus Christ. I just want people to turn to Jesus Christ. I want to love people, yes. Yes, I want to love people. Yes, I want to be a person who exalts the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, I want to be a person who prays. Yes, I want to be a person of faith. But ultimately, why do I want to minister to help people see Jesus Christ? Notice this in both stories. What's the natural result of God-ordained ministry? What's the natural result of Jesus' mission? People come to faith in Jesus Christ. True missional living, if you're truly on mission for Jesus Christ, there's going to be fruitfulness of souls for the kingdom of God. There's going to be a fruitfulness of souls for the kingdom of God. True missional living is this. It puts the minister in the background and Jesus at the forefront every single time. Notice in these, no one left praising Peter. No one left going like, how could I join your little band of disciples? Can I get in on this thing? No one left doing that. No one's like, what church are you from again? They left praising Jesus and worshiping Jesus Christ. Verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Verse 42. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Both of these are synonymous with salvation. Even ministering to physical needs of people, the ultimate goal is what? Salvation. Turn to the Lord is used three times in Acts. Believes in the Lord is used often in Acts, referring to salvation. What's the ultimate goal of our lives every single time? It's not just to feed a belly for a day. It's to feed a soul for a lifetime. It's not just to give a person a a friend for a moment. It's to give them the eternal friend forever, Jesus Christ. The ultimate purpose of everything we do is to bring people to Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. This is our goal. We're not going for social justice for the sake of this earth. For social justice isn't going to ultimately happen until Jesus comes back. We're going for the sake of God's kingdom because we love him and because we love people so much that we want to care for them and help them know Jesus Christ at the same time. How can we not live on mission for Jesus when we, when we consider all that he ha- is and all that he has done for us? He's not calling us to anything he didn't do for us. Lived on mission minister to the needs of those around him, minister to our needs. All that his father would be glorified. All because of the cross of Jesus is why we do this. All in the power of the cross of Jesus is how we can do this. Billy Graham said this, as we consider being on mission for Jesus, and the five things we just learned about that we can really get in on Jesus' mission. Billy Graham said this, God has given us two hands, one to receive with, and one to give with. Let's not be a church that has one hand going, the other hand pinned behind their back. We want to receive, receive, receive. Let's be a church that's not just want to have one hand give, 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 and not receive. Let's be a church that is two hands available for Jesus Christ. One to give, and two, one to to pour out into those around us. That is the biblical church. That's the missional church. That's the, the unstoppable church that God uses. That's the unstoppable life that God uses for great things for His purposes in our prayers that be true of your life and my life and our church as we seek to not waste our lives but to live the short years we have to the full for the glory of Jesus Christ let me pray God thank you for this tax Thank you for the way you speak to us through every single word that's in the Bible. Sometimes we get to these texts like, wow, what are you teaching us from this text? And Lord, as we study it, those, as we look at Peter's life, as we dissect his life, as we understand it, God, there's so much to learn. Father, I pray simply this, that you would cause our hearts to be so enamored with Jesus Christ and our own salvation that we can't be a people who keep it to ourselves with our words and we can't be a people who keep it to ourselves with our actions. God, may we be people who preach the gospel at all times. Loving other people and ministering to their needs and making ourselves available to other people, not so that we can get credit, so that you can get the credit. Praying and full of faith and so desiring people to come to know Jesus Christ that we're willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, even if it's messy, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it involves risk. We want to love you so much that we're willing to answer your call wherever you lead us to go. In whatever you call us to do. And God, I pray that you'd be so gracious that you'd show your faithfulness in our lives, that you would truly bring fruitfulness to our lives. That we'd find joy in serving others and loving others. That we'd all know the satisfaction of leading someone else to Jesus Christ. That we could share in a group song of celebration, Lord, when we get to heaven of all that you did in us and all that you did through us as a church. We love you, Lord. We pray you'd find us faithful and fruitful, not faithless and futile. In Jesus' name, amen.